Hello, and welcome to the Slate Political Gab Fest. Sunday, October 30th, 2022, the Pennsylvania Midterms Edition. I'm David Plotz of CityCast in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by John Dickerson of CBS Prime Time with John Dickerson from John Dickerson's home city of New York City. Hello, John. And I myself am with John Dickerson. And not with John Dickerson is Emily Bazelon of New York Times Magazine and Yale University Law School from New Haven, Connecticut. But in her heart, she is in Pennsylvania. Hello. Today on this bonus episode of the GabFest, we'll talk about the critical elections in Pennsylvania and how they could determine control of the Senate and also how the election is is disputed or not disputed in, in 2024, the presidential election. Before we get to that, just a reminder that coming up this Wednesday, we're going to be in Atlanta on November 2nd at 7 p.m. for a live show at Georgia Tech's first Center for the Arts. You can get tickets at slate.com slash GabFest live. We're going to have amazing discussion of what promises to be an incredible race down there or several races down there. So uh, join us in Atlanta this Wednesday, November 2nd, slate.com slash GabFest live. So to make sense of the Pennsylvania election. We are joined by Cherry Gregg. Cherry is a longtime civil rights journalist. She's an anchor at WHYY, the amazing Philadelphia NPR station. Cherry, welcome to the GabFest. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. You have two races that have captured national attention. I would like you to start just by uh, situating us where those races seem to be um, as we're about less than around two weeks out. We less than two, we're less than two weeks out from, from the vote. So we have a gubernatorial race and a Senate race. So how do those look? What, what's moving in those races? Uh, well, we'll start with the gubernatorial race. And the gubernatorial race, you have Josh Shapiro, Doug Mastriano uh, teed up. Uh, Josh Shapiro, longtime figure in Pennsylvania politics. Um, many people felt like this was his ultimate goal, and he has very high political aspirations. The Democratic Party kind of moved out of the way when he stepped into the race, and they've backed him from day one. Uh, Doug Mastriano, on the other hand, has uh, just appealed to his base. Not a lot of outreach to voters outside of the very right-leaning Republican Party. Um, not a lot of outreach to middle voters, won't talk to uh, mainstream media, and so um, those are the two candidates we have. So far, according to the polls, Josh Shapiro is uh, double digits ahead and in some polls, high single digits ahead in others. Um, and so folks are very confident. I talked to a number of dem Democrats this week. They're very confident that uh, Shapiro is going to win. Well, we are not 100 percent sure here. On the U.S. Senate race, however, there was that debate this week. Um, and I'll just give you my take. Uh, it was two takes. Number one, the take while watching. And number two, the take of what was actually said. Uh, the take while watching, I was cringing because I've interviewed, um, you know, John Federer multiple times. He's traveled the Commonwealth with his board of pardons. And he's done a lot when it comes to legalization of weed. And so I've seen him at his best. And this necessarily because of the stroke wasn't him at his strongest at his best. Um, so I was cringing. I did not like the format for what he's dealing with right now. I thought it was horrible. Um, but it doesn't mean that Oz did a slam dunk. I th thought he, he was kind of like 
came across as a little bit out of touch. He was smug, almost holding back laughs in some instances. And I don't think what he said made him um, more appealing um, to those voters in the middle. And so that race, I feel, you know, the U.S. Senate race, it's close. People are nervous. I was at an event this week dealing with African-American business owners. No one was really talking about either one of those elections. And usually when there's an election days away, that's all people are talking about. So I feel like voters are a little bit uh, out of touch with what's happening in both races. Although I feel like the gubernatorial race, uh, because of those longstanding relationships, is in a better situated position. I feel like the Fetterman debate, I'm not quite ready to let it go yet. It was uncomfortable to watch because it's hard to watch someone struggle with a disability, temporary as it should be, in a setting where they're supposed to seem super fluid and commanding and on top of everything, right? So in the beginning, I kind of couldn't stop thinking, like, was this a good idea? Is he really ready to do this? Is this strain potentially going to hurt him in some way? It just seems so difficult. And then I decided, like, to just watch it without, you know, worrying about John Fetterman in the moment. And I agree with you that it was more mixed. I mean, in the end, the candidate who provided the soundbite that I think was most viral yesterday was Oz when he said basically that uh, the decision about whether to end a pregnancy should be between a woman, her doctor and local politicians. That was kind of unreal. As a physician, I've been in the room when there's some difficult conversations happening. I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. I want women, doctors, local uh, political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. I do think Fetterman, that his heart came through and that also, while he couldn't really debate in any standard way, he couldn't rebut a lot of the criticisms, he was there. There were moments where you could tell, yes, he was having this auditory processing problem. He was slower, but he he was there. His like intelligence was present. John, what did you think? It was catastrophic as a moment. Whether it matters, uh, we'll see. I mean, this is the wonderful thing about campaigns. You can imagine, and and Robert Costa, CBS's Robert Costa, talked to a lot of voters and said he found a lot of people who were not super blue Fetterman voters who said, you know, I've had strokes in my family, people recover. They were empathetic. Um, people seeing in Fetterman sort of this authentic experience he was going through. And so my only point is, People can read it totally differently. But as a matter of, um, you know, as Cherry said, it was cringe-worthy to watch it. What I wonder, though, is Oz's performance, what was what what was interesting to me is how much he was reaching towards the middle. And he's doing that in his ads. And um, Cherry, I wonder what you made of that, um, because... Obviously, he ran ads where he's uh, shooting out in the middle of a field and he's associated with Donald Trump. Um, Whether he really thinks that his problem at this point in the race is um, with moderate voters as he presents a message of being somebody who can get along and how there's too much partisanship in Washington and this kind of old fashioned um, moderate message you might have seen, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I I definitely feel like he he didn't come across 
extreme at all. Um, he seemed like he was trying to, um, you know, make friends in every single category. I mean, he mentioned meeting with black clergy uh, and I immediately thought, which black clergy did you meet with? But uh, and he's been trying to do outreach in communities um, and say, look, you know, I'm going to make sure that education, I'm going to make sure that you have funding. I'm going to make sure that all the things you care about are going to be taken care of um, versus taking away uh, those types of things. And so I do think he's been trying at the same time. I don't think that people think it's real uh, because I go back to 2017 when Dr. Oz first uh, came on the scene here in Pennsylvania. He was in Kensington. I remember covering the clean out of the encampments in Kensington and he was there. He did a whole documentary on it. And a lot of people here felt like he was using issues that we're dealing with, real problems as a prop for whatever uh, whatever aspirations he had. Fast forward, and now he's running for U.S. Senate. So a lot of people feel like he's, you know, parachuting into the state. He's parachuting into our issues and that he really doesn't have a clear understanding or um, really care about it. And that he's using this flashy TV persona um, to trick everybody. That's that's what I was hearing from a lot of voters. And these are centrist folks and, and the folks in, in more liberal territory just don't trust them at all. Jerry, I was struck when I was driving through central Pennsylvania a couple of years ago on a college trip with with two of my kids, just at the level of Trumpiness there. I, I mean, I was really surprised. Every every block, MAGA signs, Trump signs, fuck Biden signs. How did Pennsylvania, how does Pennsylvania have this incredibly right wing profile for much of the state? How did that happen? I'm I'm perplexed about it. Well, people call Pennsylvania um, endearingly um, Pennsylvania. <laughs> They're like it's it's like you have um, you know liberal uh, cities on either side, and in the middle, it's very conservative. It's very rural, but the state does swing based on what the cities, whether or not the cities decide to come out. Um, I think that a lot of folks have sort of retreated from the cities, and they find their respite in the middle of the state. Um, and it's it's almost like we live in this liberal bubble here um, on the edges of the state. And it's very different. Um, I can't go into the history of how this actually evolved. But Pennsylvania sort of um, Philadelphia, I know, has been a bastion of freedom for generations. And I mean, it was one of the, the first. I mean, Harriet Tubman got free here. Right. At the same time, you go throughout Pennsylvania and um, a lot of folks who live in Philadelphia do not feel welcome. A lot of the prisons are in the center part of the state and a lot of folks make a lot of money off of mass incarceration. Um, and so you've, you've got those types of differences between the cities and the rural parts of, of Pennsylvania. And it's been going on uh, since I got here 15 years ago. Yeah, sometimes people say there's Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Alabama in between. In between or Kentucky, whatever state you want to pick. That's <laughs> what's going on in the center part of the state. Yeah. I remember interviewing women who voted for Trump in 2020 who lived in the Philadelphia suburbs. And, um, you know, I think this feeling that Philadelphia was like an alien place that had been kind of lost to them. And I also remember them being really angry about celebrities and uh, exhorting them to vote for Hillary Clinton and feeling like Katy Perry. Who did they think? Who did she think was buying her albums? Um, anyway, we'll see if that dynamic repeats itself. 
I have a different worry, which is about whether a super close election in Pennsylvania will be contested in a way that will be deja vu from 2020, but worse. And I I was really um, dismayed to learn that things have become, if anything, sort of less clear in Pennsylvania for the rules about counting absentee ballots. There seemed to be a kind of unresolved situation in the courts in which the um, Federal Court of Appeals said, yes, you can count absentee ballots that have minor glitches and give voters a chance to fix them, things like forgetting to fill in the date. And then the Supreme Court threw out that ruling, but it's not really clear what the standard is. And um, Democratic officials who are in charge have issued guidance to the local um electoral officials that they're supposed to count these ballots. You could just imagine that it's going to be chaotic. They're going to be different standards. And I really worry about what the implications of that are. Is that something that you are watching, Cherry? We're definitely um, watching that issue. And I mean, in 2020, there was all sorts of litigation around this very issue with mail-in ballots. Um, But I have to say, Pennsylvania, there's always litigation around voting, um, almost every single election. And I know in the more liberal counties like Philadelphia, they try to uh, give folks those opportunities and make sure every ballot is counted. And then you go to the rural counties and the rules are different. The number of drop off locations are different depending upon what county you're in. And that whole Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania, <laughs> Emily, as you mentioned, that's when that comes into play. And it literally I'm pushing Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah Pennsylvania, <laughs> all of that. And, and so it literally depends on like whether or not you have access, whether or not you can correct your ballot. All of this happens, whether or not the, the folks in the county offices call you and tell you there could be a problem. Maybe you should go in person. A lot of that depends on what county you're in. And um, that's why folks are very definitely watching this gubernatorial race, because if you uh, rewind back when the last time there was a GOP governor in Pennsylvania, we got voter ID. You know, people forget about that. You know, those type of laws passed and there was major litigation around elections uh, during that time. So, yes, everybody's watching this. I suspect there will be some type of litigation coming up after the election. And given the close uh, nature of that U.S. Senate race, it could, you know, be a deciding factor. Hopefully not, but it could be. And we are, you know, we should remind people Mastriano, Doug Mastriano, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, was at January 6th uh, and is perhaps the most January 6th candidate. Um, And so it'll be really interesting if um, Oz concedes in the way old fashioned candidates used to concede, seeking to retain his larger public persona for his future television career, should he lose. And then what Mastriano does, which would be if he plays to type, would be to contest even if he lost by you know, 10 points. But that's not my question. Um, Jerry, what do you make of um, the use of crime? Um, We heard it a lot in the Fetterman-Oz debate um, and how that plays out. Obviously, we know what Republican candidates are doing, but given that unique shape of the state that we've been talking about, how that message is heard in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia 
and how mu- and the suburbs, and then how that's either a turnout mechanism, you can imagine being a turnout mechanism for Republicans, but also for Democrats who hear in that crime message something maybe familiar and um, unpleasant from the past. Well, first of all, we have to remember that the district attorney of Philadelphia is currently being attacked. There's an attempt by the Republican legislature to impeach him. So you talk to a lot of voters in Philadelphia and they feel very disconnected. You know, this is someone they voted for who folks they don't even know are trying to unseat. And it relates to, uh, you know, public safety here. So a lot of people feel like, why should I vote? Because my vote doesn't matter because the GOP legislature will come in and do whatever they want anyway. And so um, you hear uh, folks talking about crime, especially on the more conservative side. And there are very few solutions. Um, people in Philadelphia are very nervous that it's going to be a lock them up, lock them up, um, you know, reaction to this. And I got to point out that Pennsylvania had some of the most harsh sentences and black and brown people were on the receiving end of those sentences. We had the largest numbers of juveniles um, thrown in prison for mandatory life without, you know, life without parole. And that was rolled back. And so a lot of people were then released under that U.S. Supreme Court precedent. But I mean, this is a real issue for a lot of black and brown voters. And the, the fear is that you bring another law and order candidate that we will go back to the way things were. And yes, things are not good right now because we have an influx of guns, but you don't hear um, Republican candidates talking about solutions, gun control. How do we get you know, some of these guns off the streets? Instead, it's just fear-mongering and people are really turned off by that. Terry, that actually sort of leads into something that I was interested in, which is black Democrats, as you've been talking about are the plurality maybe the majority of democratic voters in pennsylvania you have two at the top in in fetterman and shapiro you have two white candidates i don't know is shapiro's lieutenant governor candidate he's an african-american yeah austin davis Mm -hmm. um what's your sense about whether black voters are engaged with these two candidates and whether they're going to turn out for these two candidates well people know josh shapiro Um, And so I feel that if they're going to vote, they would probably lean towards him. Folks don't know uh, Fetterman as much, although Fetterman has been traveling the state over the past couple of years. Um, I, I people haven't really been talking about this election. And I mean, and there's a feeling I've been to the polls year after year. I've been I go to a lot of community events and usually you'll see surrogates from whatever campaign at large scale events of the demographic they're trying to target. And I haven't really seen that this time. Um, Instead, it's been more hands off, uh, you know, commercials, text messages, maybe some mailers, but not as much pressing of the flesh. I already see uh, folks running for mayor out at these events here in Philadelphia, but you don't see the same type of attention. Philadelphia needs attention in order to get the vote to come out. And when Philadelphia doesn't come out, the Democrats don't do as well. The hope is that, you know, enough is on the ballot. Enough is at stake with regard to abortion, you know, gun violence and other issues that people will be motivated um, and that the candidates, especially uh, with Mastriano on the gubernatorial ticket, just the fact that such an extreme candidate is there, that that would be a motivating factor. But I have not seen the direct outreach to the Latino community even or to the black community in the same way I've seen in previous elections. 
Cherry Gregg from WHYY, thanks for coming in and educating us on the Pennsylvania midterms. Thanks for having me, everybody. That is our show for today. The Political Gap Fest is produced by Shana Roth. Our researcher is Bridget Dunlap. Our theme music is by They Might Be Giants. Ben Richmond is Senior Director for Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Audio for Slate. Please follow us on Twitter at at SlateGabFest and tweet your chatter to us there. And go to slate.com slash gabfestlive for our Atlanta show on Wednesday, November 2nd, which will be the next show in your regular GabFest feed on Thursday, November 3rd. Bye-bye.